My name is Chris Folayo. I am your host. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Founderholic. I truly appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me speak and to listen to my guest. And the guest I have today, wow. She is nothing short of an amazing entrepreneur and a true definition of a founderholic. She has started so many businesses, has done well, and she has gone through the struggles and the successes and she's going to be talking to you about that today. Basila Bokoko is a founderholic and an amazing entrepreneur and we have her on the show today. She is a TV contributor, an inspirational speaker, an author of a book, amazing book called We All Have a Story to Tell. She's an international brand ambassador, a philanthropist doing a bunch of amazing stuff in Africa, helping children read and getting books into schools, and she's also the CEO and founder of Basila Bokoko Embassy Services. And what they do is they help businesses develop brand communication and public relations strategies for extremely rapid growth. Now, if you can't tell from all that she does and all that she's done, her story is going to blow your minds. What she's been through, the struggles she's been through, the fact that she went into a 100,000 euro debt for a business that she had a passion for but she didn't have that much knowledge in and how she came out of it with guns blazing and flags raised for pride and joy because she did so well it is amazing in my book from pitch to close i talk about three kinds of entrepreneurs and ceos there's the innovative thinker and that's the person who comes up with ideas left right and center you know every day i have a new idea i want to start a new business boom 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 you can't stop your mind from thinking and then you have the engaging executor now this kind of entrepreneur is extremely good at executing on an idea and getting the idea launched out there and doing really well and then thirdly you have the do it all dominator that kind of entrepreneur is super rare and the do it all dominator is one that's good at innovating coming up with ideas and executing those ideas and doing really really well now there are very few do it all dominators but i can tell you folks basila bokoko is a do it all dominator and you will hear it firsthand and you will witness firsthand how amazing her journey has been and she's going to drop so much knowledge i beg of you just get a notepad write things down and read her book because it is true we all have a story to tell and that story drives your passion and that passion if you follow it through will lead you to success beyond your wildest dreams and basila is an example of that so without further ado Let's jump in and listen to a do-it-all dominator, Basila Bokoko, talk about her journey and how much she has accomplished because she's followed her dreams, she's followed her passion, and now she's literally building businesses and partnerships all over the world. 
doing amazing things. So let's jump in and listen to everything she has to say. Again, thank you for joining. Let's go. Hi, Basila. Thank you so Hello. much. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Founderaholic podcast. Beyond appreciate your taking the time to join me today. I I don't know if I've ever met anyone as busy as you. You are involved <laughs> in way too many things from uh, schools to wine to your book tours to even tours and taking people on reading tours to to Africa and everything in between and helping people even move products. Uh, it's it, what you're doing is amazing. You are the definition of a true entrepreneur, a true founder, a serial entrepreneur. If there ever was in the dictionary, serial entrepreneur, you will be right there in front. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to, uh, to thank join you, us. Thank you, It's my pleasure. Uh, oh, thank you. The, one question I think everyone would have on their mind as they take their journey of being an entrepreneur is how did you get here? Because you're involved in way too many things. What was that journey like? And what are some of the lessons you've learned in getting to where you are today in building all these amazing, fantastic businesses around the world? I would say that everything is possible because I make so many impossibles possible in my life. I was the kid born in Spain from African parents as a daughter of immigrants. I think that entrepreneurship was not really in my path. It was mostly something that it was safe. And of course, we're talking about it many, many years ago where um, you have to also find a way to have a family and at the same time work. So actually, I was studying law and economics to become a civil servant. This is how scared I was. Wow. I was looking for safety. And a lot of my friends, they said, oh, you need to get this kind of job because basically you can, you can kill someone and you still get the job. <laughs> you, know, you still have the job. <laughs> I said, okay, I need something like that because I was afraid to not have safety and security. What people is looking for when you leave your country, you're looking for better opportunities. And we run in from then safety, the, the, the feeling of insecurity, particularly financial insecurity. And my parents found that in, in Spain. My mother was a nurse and she had a job that, of course, it was for life and she retired in that job. My father was maybe a little bit more entrepreneur because he was a lawyer and he was by his own, in his own law firm. And he expected me to inherit that. But I had a different plan. I studied all this and then I said, oh, it's boring. And I needed a place that I could reinvent myself completely. So for me, Entrepreneurship is the journey of really self-discovery, but self-knowledge, to get to know yourself. And I got jobs, and I did a great job. I got in a very executive position, like the director of the Spain U.S. Chamber of Commerce. But I think I was not able to adjust to the bureaucracies of the job that requires. And I have these creative ways, and I have first a boss that allowed me to do everything I wanted to do 
And I said, oh, let's create the award of the John Entrepreneur of the Year. And he said, okay, let's do it. Let's create the fashion committee. And said, yes. But then a new administration came and I was not able to adjust. And because I thought they not allow me to do what I wanted to do. So one thing I tell to people, I, I mentor people and I tell them, listen, if it's an entrepreneur inside of you, it's going to come out. And this is the reason why sometimes you feel so uncomfortable in your own position at work. And when you work in the corporate, if you feel that no one really understands you, that you want to do things different way, there's an entrepreneur inside. So it's good to understand who you are. So, of course, they kick me out. They fire me. <laughs> and when I heard you are fired and yeah. I saw myself down the Empire State Building where my office was with my box, with the book. I mean, I only have a few books and the pictures of my children. I, I just thought, what am I going to do with my life right now? And in that particular part, I think is when I was born like an entrepreneur. Because my first company, I did it when I was still in the chamber. I created BC La Wines with my brother. But I created that company from a place of fear, from a place of let me not let go, a salary. And my brother was in a banking. I was in this company. And we both were not able to grow because you could not really put all into the stake that it takes to move forward a company. We make so many mistakes, many. And then when I was with her at work and what I'm going to do right now when you are coming from, uh, I mean, when you fell off the Empire State Building, it's a big, big thing. And I felt so discouraged and I said, what is next? So I decided mm -hmm. to put my own company because I said, I have nothing to really lose. I lost everything. And at mm -hmm. that same time, I got divorced the same week. So it's like my whole life just blew away. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, now it's time maybe to rebuild it from another place. And I decided to create my consultancy firm. And one question that you really have to ask yourself when you're an entrepreneur is, what are you good at? Maybe that's the first place to start because maybe you have these amazing ideas. But when you're a serial entrepreneur, first be safe and do things that you really know how to do. And then you can explore and you can just line up with other people and compliment each other and whatever you don't have, the other person have. But when you're a solopreneur, which was my case, you, you really have to try to play safe. And still, you're going to make mistakes. I make many and I fail again. I was three years, I was moving up and I got clients and the consultancy firm was great. I hired people. And one day, because I put everything in one client, this client just, things have changed. It was a, it was a government situation and they changed and then this project went away and I have to start all over again. Wow. And this is exhausting when, you know, you just make the jumps, but this is the journey of an entrepreneur for me is the hero journey because everything goes well, then you find obstacles, then everything goes well, then another obstacle. You need to reinvent yourself because maybe the market change and you need to really be a visionary and really have vision and, and hear voices from different places to understand what is the next direction. So I build myself really making a huge amount of mistakes. But also, I will say that really create circles, networks that supported me. And these circles and networks, anytime I fell down, they were there to support me. And then I decided to create different things. And um, 
and just being brave. But being brave doesn't mean that you have no fear. It means that you do it with fear. You still do it, but you make the jump. And it's exciting. And I also think that you need to really have fun with what you're doing, to have passion. And that's really what it moves me. If sometimes when I get out of the bed and I'm so tired because I've been traveling all over the place and everything, you need to see your why. Why are you doing this? And see how many people you impact with your actions, with your presence. And that's what is, makes the difference for me. I, uh, wow. That was a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, one of the things that, that sticks out in what you just said is about being brave. Um, how would you somewhat characterize that with making pivots? Because, you know, in my mind, when you say being brave, that means you're doing, you might be making decisions. Let's say your business is growing and you have to be brave. You're making a decision that's going maybe outside the initial business plan and you're making a pivot. How did you decide when and when not to be brave and take those steps? What did your brain do or how did you characterize it? Because many entrepreneurs, one, they, they fail and then they just run away. And mm. you and I know that that's, you will always have, make mistakes. But then the second one is the people who stay, they're not, sometimes they're not as brave because they don't want to make those pivots and changes. So is there any advice you would give anybody on being brave and making those pivots and how to know when to make those pivots and when not to make those pivots? I think that... It's a matter of being connected to yourself. Mm. And I think most of the time people ask the question of, to be a good entrepreneur, do you need to be more rational, emotional? From my perspective, if you need both in, in balance, you need to have a strategic context. Where are you coming from and where are you going? But see how is, how is the market now? So you have to make all these decisions, strategic decisions. But I also believe intuition is very important. An entrepreneur has to be intuitive. And there is so many voices that speak to you when you have teams and everything. But at the end of the day, you have to follow your own voice because it's your project and you know what to do. And I think that most of the time we don't really listen to that voice because there is so much noise inside. So for me, also, that is an inside job. And in that inside job, when you really have certainty that that's the way, you're going to feel it. It's, it's, it's something in you. And there's a book that I love that is called Mastery from Robert Greene. And it says that sometimes to become great and the biggest business people, they spend at least 10,000 hours of just trying something. So if you don't have 10,000 hours of trying something, don't give up just yet. Because maybe it's that 10,000 and, and one that makes the difference. Most people get scared and they just or stay in the comfort zone or either they move a direction it doesn't work. This is not a straight line. It's curves. And sometimes that bad decision can really take you to the bridge to an amazing thing. But you have to give that opportunity to happen. And most of the time, people really give up. And the difference between somebody who get to the top and the other ones is that some people abandon too soon. 
Yeah. And I think that failure in entrepreneurship really does not exist because how many beautiful businesses are really just a collection of failures until become a great business? I, I've told so many people that so many times. I'm happy somebody else is preaching that message because I think you learn way more from failure than you do from your successes. And failures just make you stronger. Um, they give you all the battle scars and the shields and weapons you need to actually do better. So as long as you're learning from the failure, how is learning failure? Because you're I learning think sometimes from sometimes our own ego, because of course, as entrepreneurs, we have an ego. Yeah. We have an idea and we want to thrive in that idea and we want the visibility and we want everything that comes with success. We want it. I think an entrepreneur at the end, what he wants is love. It's really mm. He wants mm. love. <laughs> you want that people love your product. You want people to love you. You want your team love you. We are really yeah. looking for love. So sure. when something don't go that way, we have a tendency to really feel guilty that it didn't go well. All these emotions come to us. And then it's when we decided, okay, I fell. And we have a stigma about failure. And we have to remove that stigma because, I mean, from failure comes the lessons that you need to really learn. Exactly. And it just gives you a second skin and you keep going. Exactly. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. And I hope everyone listening, you heard it for herself. Failure is okay. Just learn from your failure. Because, uh, yeah, and, I, and you're right. It's, it's love. I, I say it's feeling. Um, I say every founder, um, an entrepreneur, they're dedicated to their feelings, which is, as, as you put it, love. We, we want everybody to love our products. And we hate when they don't, but there are things we can put in place. And as you're mentioning, the gut feel that you have on making a pivot. And if you make a pivot and it's wrong, learn from it and move on. Don't dwell on it too much because you'll, you, you won't succeed if you dwell, dwell on that. So speaking about failures and successes, can you talk, talk through us or talk to us about one of your amazing successes in all that you've done and any hiccups that you had in the way or pivots that you made that you probably wouldn't have made if you hadn't failed. So right. if you can give us that map of, I'm trying to make it somewhere. This is what I was doing, but this failure ended me up going to the left, but it was a better because I failed here. It helped me improve to get to another point. I'm sure one of your amazing businesses has that kind of trajectory. And it does. I mean, pretty hear. much all of them, but. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> share but share as much as you can. I the first one. Yeah, please. Uh, because it's a product and most people like wine. So um, when we create the company of wine, we were thinking that only with the storytelling of this company, we will be like super successful because it was my brother had the idea actually it was his idea and he said why wouldn't put this wine company you know people and we are two black people creating a wine company in spain is so appealing so sexy that we're gonna have a for sure success and we thought that only for that we will be successful but we forgot many other things 
And when we launch it, we make like a huge launch, but a lot of things were not together. First of all, we have no idea about wines. And it was just because it's a, such a sexy business, but we were not experts. I, I mean, I, I knew something about wine because I helped to launch many wine companies in the United States. And that's what I thought that entitled me to know about wines because I was very good position brands in the United States. And I thought that we'll do the same thing with mine. But it didn't work that way. So we spent so much money in the marketing, but the production was not so good. And because we were not really experts, we, the people start saying, oh, the product was not so good. No, it was so, not so good. We put so much love, but we're not winemakers. We were not uh, really going to a wine school to really understand how the grapes work and everything. So we associate with someone and we thought, okay, they have already a trajectory. We're going to just push there. Another thing that we make a mistake was that every time that people ask me for samples, I give it to them. And we spend so much money. You know, I send money, uh, I send wines to New York, to Ghana, to everywhere, to Cameroon. And people and they were just them, drinking it. They were just, they were drinking, just it. drinking it drinking and nothing it. happened, right? So, yeah, no yeah, distribution, yeah. no import. So, we spent three years yeah. sending wine. And when we saw the numbers, we were really in a very bad shape. So the fact that we were not taking care of the production in the right way, quality control and understanding what kind of wines, just because the name is in my bottle, it didn't represent me. Another thing is your brand has represented the product. And because I had an image, the wine was not in alignment with the, with the image. So it was a distortion there. And if you sell in a certain way, if your brand has some values, the product has to be aligned with your own personal brand too. So it was there, it was a disconnection. Another thing was that we didn't really have a plan. So have a business plan. And the business plan is an alive thing. So you need to make turns and change. What we did great when we were 100,000 euros short and almost bankrupt. Wow. And this was shocking because we said, what are we going to do right now? We have to close down and we have debts and everything. Yeah. When things are so wrong and we didn't know how to do things, you know what? Alliances, strategic partnerships. So we end up talking and that's why I said your network is your net worth. Because someone from Valencia region who was a small winery decided to help us get their brand. It was a very beautiful winemaker who do wines of author. So it was such a really not so much production because before we were with a huge winery. So our wine quality was not so taken care of because they have other brands. But in this case, we were really the people who we can change things for them. They don't have the name. They don't have, but they have the product. So I think it's very good to have this kind of joint ventures because they have something that we did not have. And this was a family that have generations of generations of winemaking, but they didn't have the commercial side. So we both could work together and we end up winning an award in Germany. Of wow. The Cava. Cava is like the champagne of Spain. We could not call it champagne because that name is from France. But the okay. Cava, which is the sparkling wine, won awards. And imagine when I saw Visila Wines, you know, in, in Provine. This is a, a, a show, a wine show that is called Provine. And we won several awards. So that was our big win. But number one, we didn't quit. 
this was never an option. We have to find a way. Number two, just find people that could help you that know better than you. Uh, number three, really um, do your homework because we didn't do the homework before. We didn't learn what we need to learn and everything. But we have the enthusiasm. We said, we start this, we're not going to finish it. And this company is still alive. We started in 2009. And right now, another thing that we did that I think it was very smart is we went to China market because when we went, it was no culture of wine in China. They drink sake and they drink other things, but this is pretty new. I mean, the wine thing with the Asian market is just started a few years ago. But we came when there was no culture of wine. So we were kind of the people teaching people to drink wine. My brother was living there, one of my brothers, the, the third one. Two of us, we found it. But one, we were, I was living in New York. My other brother lived in Madrid. And we have this brother who lived in China. So we said, well, we don't try. And actually, I went several times to Shanghai. And we did wine testings. And people loved the wine. And that's how we also, I think one of the lessons is think local to global. Yes. Don't think small. We yeah. knew that we could not compete with the Spanish wines. Generations of families have wines. We were new in the block. We need to go to move somewhere. We also knew that in the U.S. market, I was working in the Spain-U.S. Chamber of Commerce, so for uh, avoiding a conflict of interest, I could not come into the United States but I could come to China. So the world is big. Find your market. You're going to find someone from 7 million people in this world. Someone wants your product. Wow. That is, that, that's, that's such an amazing, courageous story. And the fact that you were 100,000 euros in debt and you still kept through and kept on and you didn't let that hold you down because of that partner. It's it says a lot about even the passion you have to you like you mentioned the passion you have to have because if you don't have a passion for your business and your product at that point you just give up I mean a hundred thousand dollars in debt and no passion you walk away but you are passionate about seeing it through and seeing it succeed yeah right? so I think and it speaks to your brand to be interested interestingly enough speaks to your brand and the kind of person you are that you didn't give up. So this, your wine is a not give up wine. We will yeah. go where we have to go to succeed. Even if we have to go to China, where they drink sake, we will go there and show everybody how it's done because we do not, we do not back down. That is, that is your wine and I'm going to drink it so I just don't back down. So anytime, anytime anybody <laughs> feels, feels down, that's that's what the wine that's what the wine says. I I love it. I love that. Do you, is there another tiny story you want to share? I also think, for example, um, when I started with my consultancy firm, I realized I always been advising people how to do business in other markets. That was this has been always my gift. And also, you have to recognize when you don't have any more passion. What I realized is that I put this company. And yes, I have clients and I have a team, but I was not even going to the office. I, I was just remotely uh, telling everybody what to do. I love to travel and do different things, but I was scared to let go of that because I said, okay, this is my bread and butter. And then I lost uh, one client came, uh, the Opera House of Barcelona, 
And we were like three years book with a huge project to promote the opera house from Barcelona and to have agreements with different operas in the world. And I loved that. I was the ambassador of the Opera House of Barcelona. And I said, well, this is so nice. And then because Barcelona wanted to separate from Spain and we have a political problem, the funding was cut. And I already had volunteered a lot of money, people. I have six people, yeah. office, everything. So, boom, I crashed. Again, I found myself owing money. I have to let go people, the office, you know, New York, when you have yeah. this huge amount of rent yeah. and if money is not coming in, you add it up. So I still remember that Sunday that I have to just remove everything from the office. And I did it alone because sometimes when, I mean, entrepreneurship is a lonely road because all of these people that I hire, when problems come, everybody's Sunday, nobody's there to help you. And I have to let go everything. And they told me, remove everything because otherwise they charge you again. Everybody knows the New York game. And I just have to go. I have only the elevator for a few hours. Otherwise, I have to keep paying more money. And at that moment, I asked myself what I did wrong. And what I did wrong, it was that it was not my passion anymore. I have mm. done that for years and years. And I was playing safe, knowing that I know how to be a consultant and I could help people. But it was a different calling. And that's what I became in the speaker. Because what I really love, it was to travel and I need to figure out a way that I could make money doing what I love. And then is when I became an international speaker and I became a consultant in something different, how to be a humanistic leader and how to handle diversity. So when you have international businesses, you understand how to work with different people from different, having cultural intelligence. So that's what I was passionate about. I was passionate about cultural intelligence, not about finding importers, distributors for people. When the merchandise is not arriving, I don't sleep at night because then it's the stocking customs and everything. I overcome that. So also you need to learn when it's time to change. So I needed to make a, a change. And when you make this shift, my business starts thriving again. But Sometimes your business is not growing because you're not 100% there and committed. And that's what's happening. So I had this office, I have six people and everything. I come here and there, but my focus, my interest was somewhere. So of course, no kidding that my clients keep quitting on me and they don't renovate contracts and things happen and it just was not working. And I think it's because you, you also have to understand when it's time to change the business. You were telling me uh, before we joined in the call how you sell businesses, you create other projects. That's what we do when we are serial entrepreneurs. It comes to a point that when we realize that we cannot impact the business and the people that we serve with this business, it's time to change. And I stayed too long. And trying to not coming out of the comfort zone. And of course, boom, they push you into the unknown. And, yeah. and it took me a lot of time to, to heal uh, personally, because of course, when you have to close down a business, it's not easy. And when you've been forced to, it's different than when you leave it and you sell it. In this case, boom, I felt again that it was another divorce from my company. And I needed to rebuild the company. 
Um, but I realized that it has to be in alignment with your passion, with your interest, with your mission. It has to be in alignment with your mission. But how do you how do you go from letting go of that company and then rebuilding yourself without the in the back of your mind saying people might think I failed because they're going to always ask you, hey, let's see a lot. What about your last company? You know, what about people ask this? me a lot of, of these questions. Yeah. So <laughs> how how do you how do you navigate that? And for the people who are listening, yeah, who, the first three know. years were very tough mm. because everybody asks you. Um, yeah. Of course, people talk about you, and yeah. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> all the clients and people how you have. So it's it's kind of a smoky thing around you. People don't know really what happened. And I think one of the most toxic emotions that it is is shame. And what happens when we feel that we fail is that we have shame. And there is nothing to be ashamed of. This is, this is exactly the journey. And this is why we don't want to talk about it. That's why we don't want to say to anybody that we did wrong decisions and we, we, we keep it secret. And people yeah. have to find out. I did the opposite. I explained what happened. And I just opened up myself to explain. And I also did a lot of inner work. It helped me to come out to do my inner work, to really spend time, to really navigate inside of myself and really understanding who I was. And don't be afraid to show the people. You see, I felt because I was not committed 100%. And it's okay. I feel okay. And look your clients and people that you have contracts with in the face and don't be ashamed of anything. And, and don't allow also that the imposter syndrome take over because one of the things that entrepreneurs we are really prone to is to be perfectionists. We want everything perfect. And when something is not perfect, um, this is part of our DNA, like entrepreneurs, we feel really bad. And then it's come shame, it's come the guilt, these emotions, and then we kind of destroy more things. But I think if we can look are things the way they are and realize, okay, if we are to live 100 years, pretty much we can. I'm sure we're going to because right now we live. Why, why I think that I don't have more chances to make it right the next time. I have time. And we think that we, we, we spent three years in a business and it didn't work, that we fail when we have maybe 50 years in front of, I'm going to be 50 this year. And I still want to know what I will do when I'm 100 years old. So if a few business fail, what happened? So it's what? okay. So what? Yeah, it's <laughs> so okay. So what? It's okay. And I think we have to have self-compassion. What it helped me is to have self-compassion. And when you start by that, and then explain the story, because these stories are super powerful and healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you keep it secret, if you are ashamed of your story, and you're not able to really analyze what you did wrong, I also realize that the parts of the job that I don't like. And when you're an entrepreneur, there is many parts of the work that you don't like. And we believe that we are our orchestra director, and you do the finances, you do the strategic planning. You also do the human resources. You do everything. Yeah, everything. And everything. Honestly, yep. it was many things that I didn't really like to do. So that's what it was boring. And because I was dedicating only 20% of the things that I really, of my time, really to do things that I really love. So when yeah. I spent so much time coaching the team, doing this, 
um, trying to think about how to pay the bills and do the accountancy, I realized that it's very important that we join forces with people that could do the things that you don't really like and learn mm. to delegate. Mm -hmm. And when I came back again, I said, you know, I, you lead by inspiration, honestly. And sometimes you have to tell people, I could not pay you, but let's do it this way. And if we do this way, I prefer to give you a part of the business, but you take care of this business. So I also changed my business model. So I don't have employees. I have collaborators. I have people who work with me, not for me. And this changed my game because what I didn't want is to have the responsibility that to take care of families. So I make other people entrepreneurs with me. And this for me was key in all the businesses that I'm doing now. Everything that I do, I do it that way now. I think, I think you have cracked the code for a lot of people. Because even for me, with one of my companies that failed, the hardest part was the families. It wasn't even letting go of the people that worked for me. It's knowing that somebody just had a child four mm -hmm. months ago. Yeah. Um, and the wife is at home and he was only the only breadwinner. And now he has to go home or, you know, so many other. And you get to know these people so well. They become yeah. part of your family. So then when you have to let them go, it's the hard, it just hurts your heart. Like yeah. it hurts the core of your heart. So the model you have where you're assigning responsibility and collaborating and now have partnerships with people, that, that is a very interesting way to navigate not having that weight too much of that weight on your shoulder yet you're still able to do all the things you want to do and have an influence in growing amazing businesses which you are an expert in so <laughs> I, I would because i was going to ask you the question how do you do it well, I think because I'm surrendered by amazing collaborators, yeah. people who are really as passionate as I am because of the progress that I bring in the table. And um, my consultancy firm still works, but I have someone who is an amazing researcher. She's great with the feasibility studies. She could be yeah. hours researching. I'm, I don't have the time. I could not do it. I did this when I was an intern, when I started at the beginning. But right now, I really don't have the patience. But she's great on it, and she loves it. And I give it to her, and when the client comes, I prefer to give her one percentage of that also that helps her to really get the next gig because yes. she do a great job she has the relationship with the client if the client wants to continue work with her perfect i have no problem i also have to believe i, I start to believe be generous just don't be afraid that your team is going to go with your client and everything who cares i believe that when you come from a place of abundance to let people work free without micromanagement and allow them that they have developed these relationships. Most of my people who I collaborate with, they are now entrepreneurs. They have their own companies. Mm. And guess what? I contract them. So it's beautiful when you see someone who just came from nowhere start collaborating with you by percentage and one day has a company because can recruit different clients and you become one client of them. So this is basically my business model right now. I prefer to create other entrepreneurs 
and collaborate. And then people is going to be so grateful that you yes. grow them. That instead of thinking these people depend on me and their families depend on me, they become independent. And I think I learned that lesson because when you 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 said it's so right, it breaks your heart when you have to let someone home, and you you feel responsible because these people they're gonna have very tough months. And Correct. at this point, I don't want to be the only source of income. In this case, I mean, they, if they can give me only the thirty percent, that's fine. One person give me 30 here, the other give me 20, the other one 10%. But at the end of the day, we're really able to just do everything. So that's the reason why I could do what I do. I have my consultancy firm. The wines is handled by somebody else. We have a CEO who take care of it. And we can, my brother and I, we could do all the businesses. And I know, for example, in the speaking engagements, it's me. So that requires more of my time. And when we also have consultancy works for diversity or something, we go two or three people of my team. Each person is an expert in different areas and we work together. So I love this teamwork and we travel together and we take everything like a game. It's like we, we are continuously kids and it's, it's wonderful. It's, it, yeah, I, yeah, it is beyond wonderful. What's, what you have gone, done and the structure in which you've put in place to help other people grow. Um, and you're growing too, and they're growing, and they don't see you as competition. You guys are just collaborators, and yeah. you're collaborating and growing together. So is this how you have been able to you know, start even stuff in Africa, hmm. and you're doing a lot with schools and putting books in schools and reading in Kenya and Zimbabwe? Is this the same methodology or have you used a different one like your speaking role? That is all you. Have you used a different methodology? This for, is different. For your work? Okay. I think my relationship with Africa has been interesting because growing up being an African kid, not in Africa, it gives you the perspective that Africa is something that is so far away from you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I connect with Africa through my grandparents because when my parents moved to Spain, for the first time, I was able to be connected with the gastronomy, with um, the, the culture, the traditions. And they give me the, the pride to be African because before I was the only black kid in the class. So obviously, children want to be like everybody else. And I didn't want to be African. But when my grandparents came, I was 12. And I said, oh my God, this to be African is so cool. And my friends from the school love to eat my grandmother's food. And she oh, always nice. have these beautiful clothes. Nice. And everybody was nice. so excited to come to my house to discover Africa. So yeah. when I turned 35, I never have put a feet in the continent. And I put mm -hmm. the feet that first time in my birthday. I decided to give that gift to myself. And everything changed in my mind. And then I realized I am all these children. The only difference, and I was born in a different place. People, we could never decide where we're born, but we can decide how we live. That's the only decision that we have free will. Yes. And then I said, okay, one thing that really, really has been essential in my growth and in my success is books. 
I spent a lot of time when I was a kid by myself. I always said that I grew up like a plant. My parents came, they just give me a little bit water like a plant and go to work <laughs> because this was the way of my upbringing. They were too, too busy. And they were also kids. My parents happy with 22 years old. So it was difficult for them to cope with those these situations. But books were my nannies. They were my masters. They were everything to me. And I decided that I needed to really help Africa, but Africa helped me. A lot of times we think that we go there to be humanitarians and everything, but Africa has taught me the biggest lessons of my life, empathy, solidarity, and everything. So I do this, it's, it's a selfish act because I feel so amazing anytime that I see someone get inspired by a book and created things. I knew a kid in Kenya, Maasai, who wanted to become a pilot. And because of all these books of traveling and everything, he got inspired. And being a Maasai and being in a school that was only a tree, today he flies planes from Nairobi to Maasai Mara. And I was having dinner with him one year ago in Nairobi. Now he's 24. And it's wonderful because you just meet someone who was a kid and he became his dream. I have many kids adopted in Africa. I could talk about my daughter, Georgina. She's from Ghana. I met her in my first trip. She has learning disabilities. And she was my master. She was my real angel. Because when her mother asked me to help her, I didn't know what I was doing. I only decided, okay, I'm going to help this woman. But this girl today is a nurse. She helps so much people right now. And she was nine when I met her. And you believe that you change one life, but you change many lives. So this project from Africa is the, is for me, it's like another child. I grew it. Everyone could be a humanitarian. You don't need to be Bill Gates to be a humanitarian. When I started doing this work, I have a salary like everybody else. I have debts. And actually, my husband said, how are you going to pay the school for these kids if you, we cannot even pay the kids the private schools here in Manhattan? Mm. And we mm. struggled to do that. Mm. But at the end of the day, given, I said, I'm in the business of doing good because there is no better business than doing good. And when you help someone, I mean, the, the satisfaction that you feel, it's amazing. Fantastic. So I think yeah. that I'm also a social entrepreneur. And for me, this is not business. This is life anyway. And it's a chain of favors that you start to create in. And the business model that we try is from every, the 10% of the benefits that I get from the companies, we allocate them to just creating libraries. If there is years that I don't have any revenue, any profit, and there is no libraries. But we go with books and we put them in luggages and friends and volunteers come with us and they just do that. Sometimes we serve only bringing friends of mine that they are retired teachers and we just finance the trip. They come with us and they spend time with the kids, allow, allowing that, that free time that they have instead of being seated in New Jersey or in Massachusetts doing nothing, they come with us. So we found ways to really make everybody happy. And right now we also create trips, solidarity trips. So my friends come to Africa and with the amount of money that they spend in this trip, 
going, for example, and a resort managed with the Maasai, the money stay in the Maasai community. They, they don't go to the resource built by British people, Germans, and everything. I take them to the resort that is built by Maasai, by my brothers and sisters. This yes. way, the consumption of wine, the, the, the beds, everything, they give it to the Maasai community. So I became an ambassador for this project. And it's a way also to promote solidarity trips. Uh, but also they see Africa with other eyes. Because you know that there is so many um, different ways to see Africa until people go and see Africa. And they realize that it's a beautiful world. So we created these um, trips. And in reality, I just go like an ambassador. Um, but my friends come so happy and sometimes they sponsor other kids from the school. Um, they, they create projects. Sometimes they are people in computers and they just give computers to the people. Sometimes right. they work in, in soccer teams and they give kids, um, t-shirts from the soccer teams. There is so many ways and they make people happy. So this is how we work in this project. And it's, it's fantastic. Well, first of all, thank you for doing that for as as someone from Africa. Thank you for doing that for the continents. Um, I I do think a lot, many more people need to do that, and many more people need to see Africa. Just like you said, you you went at at a later age, but once you got there, you were hooked because there's so much that the continent can teach you as a whole as far as being humble, being content, just understanding how blessed you are exactly. <laughs> to, to be living in whatever country you're living in because you see, you see different stages and different classes of people and you end up knowing y you are blessed and you can give more and you have yeah. a lot to give. And I don't think many people realize that till they're put in that kind of environment to then understand oh my goodness i'm i i'm blessed to have electricity 24 7 where i live i'm blessed to have a tap that has running water and i'm blessed to have the knowledge i have that i can share you know the the money that i have is might not be a lot where i live but over here it can go a long way so maybe i can contribute to helping people here learn understand grow end up becoming pilots which for somebody that lives in the maasai mara to become a pilot that is a that is a movie it is <laughs> a movie it is it's a, a movie, movie. <laughs> and you participated in it with uh, with your reading and so when people go on these tours are you taking are you reading with everyone? Because I've seen yeah, some Yeah, we have a reading getaway. We have okay. several trips because not everybody reads, yeah. but if we give them to everybody. Sometimes we have med meditation journeys. We have the inner worry journey where we go with a meditation teacher and imagine mm. to meditate in the middle of the savanna and do safaris and everything. Other trips are fitness trips. People want to take care of themselves because, you know, people now, they go a lot of retreats to or sometimes it's executives that they are born out and they need to release stress. What better way to do that than to come with us? Yes. So they, they stay there for six days and they come completely renovated. I mean, we dance with the massage and the fire in the night. Then we go in the morning to early safari. Then they have a mentoring session with me and um, they kind of understand different 
um, ways to release that stress or um, we have masterminds. We do different things and everybody loves it. So the, the, it changes. I do this um, in different places. Uh, right now, of course, because I have an agreement and I've been more than 20 years involved with this organization because the founder is a friend of mine for many, many years. So she was in Bangladesh before in different places, but now the, the, the Kenyan project, since the beginning, even before I went to Kenya, I was involved with this project. It, this is a testament to how you can turn, because even just from listening to you speak, I can tell you're passionate about it. And it goes back to what you said you need to be passionate about it and just that love for what you have will drive you to succeed and any i'm sure you've had hiccups with travel arrangements and all that stuff but you said i'm still going to do this for years and years you're you're still doing i will it. do it i was in rwanda only for a few days, it was exhausting because I only have two days. But uh -huh. it was with AfriLabs, and it's a project based in Nigeria, which I love. That is all they have technological labs in Africa. And I went I there only to inspire the new generations, and they told me to give the speech. So imagine I went there only to give the inauguration speech and come back. But it was so amazing to see these amazing entrepreneurs and people in technology trying to do things made for Africans for Africans. And people don't realize the amount of talent that is in Africa, the amazing energy and enthusiasm. Right now, we're going to make a project to create the opportunity that it is not a bridge and the kids connect with technology since they are very young kids. Mm. And we work in with Dream Hubs, which is a, a, a hub that is located in Equatorial Guinea. And we're doing partnerships with AfriLabs and BBLP, which is my organization, to create digital literacy. So I started providing books. But right now, we want to also provide digital literacy. So we evolved. And this is why I partnered with all these um, amazing hubs, technological hubs in Africa. But when I went to Rwanda, and I've been several times, and I saw the, the entrepreneurship environment, it's so exciting. And also when you go to Nigeria and you see amazing things happening, people yes. don't realize the amazing opportunities that exist to invest in Africa, to Absolutely. work with Africans. They always see us like people who need help. Help. And we don't need help. What we need is partnerships. Yes. We need to work in in a in a face-to-face -face way. Now you come to help me. And this is exactly the message that we want to give to society and to really change uh, the the image that it has because people still have the image of the 80s. And this is this is gone. And yeah. there is so many opportunities and they're missing the opportunities that there is. And because I'm European and I see that Europe, we are just neighbors and yeah. they see Africa like whatever. And I'm thinking, hmm, you see, this is your best partner next door <laughs> and you're exactly. ignoring it. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's, I, I try to bring this kind of consciousness. No, that's, you're, you're doing the right thing. I, th I think part of, even, I mean, as someone born and raised in Nigeria, I think part of the issue is the stories that the world hears and that's coming out of Africa 
we need to change that. So exactly the storytelling and the pictures. So there are those two things that we need to work on simultaneously is tell, tell more stories of all the positivity coming out of Nigeria, of Africa. It's not about a kid with a big belly and a fly on their lip in front of a hut. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we have skyscrapers. We have infrastructure. We, we had 5G before the U.S. had 5G. I have more connection in the yeah. Masai Mara, in the in Savannah, the, than in upstate yeah. New York. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. I mean, we were running 5G networks when the U.S. was on 3G going to... LTE. I mean, so I I hear you, and but that's the story. We we need to tell more of those stories. We will so, tell more stories because we, right we now do. my time is short. But they need yeah. to hear stories. <laughs> I need to we jump do. in another meeting. Yeah. <laughs> but but I want to say thank you very much. Um, do you want to just talk a little bit about your book just for a second? Yes. Just for a second, I will tell you that everything that I just told you is right here. We all have a story to tell. The book is in English and in Spanish for anyone who wants to read it. This is the story of my entrepreneurship journey. Also, the power of stories. It's not matters the story that happened to you. The story that really matters is the story that you're about to write. And every day you can write a new story. So my invitation for you is to write the story that you want to become. That's exactly how I did it. I wrote who I wanted to become. I wrote a journal since I was 12 years old. And right now, my journal is it's here, basically. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you very much for sharing your time. We know you're busy, so really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Blessings. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Before you take your brain on an amazing journey applying what you just learned, here is what the lawyers are forcing me to tell you. And you know, you have to listen to the lawyers. So here goes. This podcast is presented to you solely for educational and informational entertainment purposes only. I'm a serial entrepreneur as you know it, and I have a ton of personal experience in the School of Entrepreneurship and Hard Knocks, but I am not a licensed teacher, therapist, and this podcast is not intended as a substitute for you to get more information and absorb more from other people. In fact, I encourage you to always learn more and seek out various viewpoints and opinions from people you trust and people who want you to succeed. Remember, it all ends well with faith. Stay blessed and humble to learn, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.